0: This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton.
1: Nitin, thank you so much for speaking to uh, Knowledge at Wharton about leadership today. Sure. Thank you very much. So uh, you have, uh, uh, in in speaking about uh, some of the lessons that you have learned uh, since having become the CEO, uh you said that the you have one of the lessons you have learned is that CEO's job is not to define a strategy but it is to def- derive it by working closely with a team of highly engaged individuals uh, could you explain uh, that, that in some detail about what uh, what your lesson what's the lesson you have learned here Sure
0: sure Michael uh, I think uh, you know it's fairly common practice to uh, associate, the chief executive officer job is also the chief strategy officer. And I think it's fair to uh, to have that, that faith and belief from all stakeholders, especially shareholders, the board, employees. So, you know, in my in my recent uh, move into emphasis as the CEO, you know, when I went around and, and met a lot of employees uh, and, and other stakeholders, it wasn't uncommon for me to hear them ask me in the Q&A sessions or in the town halls as to, you know, what's your strategy for emphasis? And that kind of set me thinking uh, on a couple of things. Firstly, you know, it's uh, it seems fairly presumptuous of someone uh, to hand a company uh, a set of, you know, strategic choices uh, when, you know, th- there has to be a strong correlation and a congruence between capabilities uh, and, uh, you know, and, and conceptualization of a strategy. So that's the first part. I think it has to be uh it has to strategy is not going to be adequate unless it is uh combined with capabilities and culture of company secondly uh i think i am actually of the view and, and i learned this uh, especially you know evolving it uh, you know over the last uh few months working with my colleagues uh i think the the best way for people to co-opt or uh, or embrace or believe in a strategy is when you actually involve them in defining it. So, you know, th- that's the, the best way to, to create buy-in. That's the best way to create uh, the best consensus-driven approach. And, of course, you know, I see you, you have to share that process and you have to guide it and you have to shape the strategy. But I think the best answers come when you uh, get a, a team of highly engaged, talented people in a room, uh, and have an open, uh, open dialogue and debate and discussion about strategic choices. And in the end, uh, you know, you kind of uh, put your stamp on, uh, on evolving it in a, in, in a way that that it's congruent and, and you can measure the progress and, and you can turn it into an operating plan. So I think from those two perspectives, firstly, you know, uh, getting adequate knowledge about the company's capabilities and culture, and second, building it uh, in a way that, uh, you know, from day minus one, you have a team of people that have already bought into it. Because they feel, they feel part owners of the strategy.
1: So, if I could just uh, uh, dig a little bit deeper into the process, how exactly uh, does the process of defining a strategy with this committed group of people? Uh, how does how exactly does it work?
0: So, um, great uh, question as well. I think the the best way, at least, that what in our experience or what has been working well for us is. Uh, is to uh, is to have a number of what we call these whiteboard or brainstorming sessions, uh, typically starting with the the client or the customer or the or the problem that we're trying to solve. Uh, put the lens of the here and now, uh, you know. And typically, you you have multiple ways to to define uh, immediate priorities and then try to marry them with uh, the direction that the businesses are moving in. I mean, we are a reflection of our client's business, given that we are in technology services. So from that perspective, I think uh, mapping where we stand today, what are those those changes and the forces that our clients are dealing with, and how can we equip ourselves to become able partners for them? And then this process kind of was an iterative process. Uh, you know, you, you you do a little bit of scenario planning, but more importantly, you, you try to uh, to map where, where we are today uh, with our clients, where are our clients headed, identify those common themes, identify the disruptive trends, and take a slight bet on, uh, you know, uh, what are those choices that you will have to make from a technology perspective and, and derive those answers. Uh, and in the end, as I said, strategy is nothing but a set of choices. What are, the, what are the things you would choose to do and what are the things you would choose not to do? And and, and we followed that process over a period of six months uh, and effectively uh, answered questions like, you know, where to play, way to play is an answer of what uh, industry segments, what geographies, and what service lines. And then uh, we are, you know, we, we've been defining for the last, you know, few weeks and months, uh, how to win, and, and that's more a question of how do you align your your market-facing teams, how do you align your capabilities, and how do you really then draw derive uh, a common message that you can then take to all stakeholders, both external and internal. Uh, uh, th-
1: thanks, Nizan. That, that that's a great answer. The uh, uh it is also often believed that the, the, the job of a leader or a CEO is to motivate people. Uh, but I understand you think that's, that, that's wrong. Uh, could you explain that?
0: Yeah, again, this is uh, one of those harder learning for me. Uh, I always used to believe that as CEO, I have to always be uh, motivating you know, people who work for me, people who, who own those uh, you know, P&Ls and business units that, uh, that make up the company. And then I realized uh, that I think uh, uh, the real answer really is to is not in, in trying to motivate people all, all day long, but the real answer is to actually get uh, you know uh, get a, a, a team of self motivated people uh, together and set a vision for them, and then let them free, uh, obviously to, to to work their magic, uh, and all this while. Uh, con- continuing to give them guidance uh, and and, uh, and, and handhold them, and obviously you then put in place some control mechanisms to trust but verify. But more importantly, I think getting a team together of highly self-motivated individuals, uh, you know, in in your leadership team uh, is is a much better way uh, than trying to motivate uh, everybody on the team that that may or may not have that self-motivation.
1: So, again, dig, digging a little deeper into that as well, uh, how do you define the, uh, you know, the, the right attributes for people who, uh, who should be on the leadership team? What do you look for?
0: I think, uh, again, every leader has a different answer to that, uh, that question because uh, it's a question of uh, you know, what, what are you looking for in, uh, in a, w- what does the business need? Uh, there are times when a business needs pure, you know, plain execution because the, the waters are fairly calm, even though, you know, it's debatable whether there are ever calm waters. But especially as you get into transformative times that we're living through right now with uh, disruption at its core, uh, what I define as as a, a few traits for for people to be self-motivated, firstly they should be excited about the change that the world is going through uh, because that's, that's when they will actually embrace the change uh, and, and, and try to make the most of, of the opportunity, versus seeing it as a challenge and, uh, and, and fight the change. Secondly, uh, you know, from, from that ability to see it as an opportunity comes the, the passion to, to uh, work for the clients and, and for, the, for the employees. And thirdly, uh, I think to, to marry those two eventually, and the third, third leg of that stool really is the ability to execute on, on the vision, which basically means to. To align with the with the with the vision and the goals and the opportunity set, and then execute in a way that you can you can make something happen for the business because in the end, uh, you know we we do work for, uh, for for our stakeholders. So I think those are the three legs of the stool that uh, that kind of make up a highly, you know a highly uh, motivated team of people that uh, uh, that can actually take uh, take an opportunity that is uh, that presents itself because of the highly transformative nature of the times we are in and turn that into a, a massive opportunity for growth and, and, and prosperity.
1: Right. Uh, you, you've, you've also said that uh, you know uh, people often believe that business is all about people, but that isn't right as well. Uh, 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 and and, and you've, what you've changed that to is to say business is all about the right people. Uh, so again, uh, going, going back to the same question about motivation self, and self-motivated people, uh, could you explain a little bit about what, how, how broadly you do, do you define the right people?
0: I think it's it's very closely tied into the previous discussion we had on uh, on, on a bunch of self motivated uh, folks on the team, and I, I think uh, this is uh, something that uh, I remember reading uh, a long time ago in uh, one of the business books, uh, you know now now fairly popularly called Book The Great. Uh, and i think there the the concept and the theme was uh, get the right people on the bus and the bus will find its destination what's trying to define a destination and then trying trying to try to drive the people in that direction so uh, and i think in my books the defining the right people uh, is is uh, in multiple attributes and factors uh, obviously you you need people with a growth mindset uh, people who are willing to learn and change and, and embrace change uh, you also need people who uh, who see beyond uh, personal ambition. And I think I'll talk a little bit more about that when I talk about uh, you know the, the 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 ambition has to be foremost about the company. Uh, and then, as I as I mentioned earlier, uh, I think it is uh, above and beyond gamesmanship and and the ability to drive outcomes uh, that that define those attributes that I'm calling the right set of people.
1: So when you get a, a very highly motivated, passionate people together uh, in a team, uh, one of the biggest uh, challenges that leaders and uh, CEOs face is uh, uh, getting to consensus and getting people to uh, uh, all on the same page. Uh, what is your approach to that? Uh, uh, how, how, how strongly do you feel that people should have the ability to disagree uh, both with you as well as with one another, uh, in in getting to uh, where you need them all to be.
0: I think it's a it's a great uh, segue into one of my other big learnings. So uh, my uh, at least my personal management style has always been that about openness and transparency, and I've always uh, uh, fostered a culture of of debate. Uh, you know, when you get a get a set of highly talented, self motivated uh, people in the room. Uh, you expect them to bring ideas and opinions, and, uh, you know, it is uh, it is incumbent that you actually have a, have the openness and the culture of, of debate to drive the, the right decisions. Now, it doesn't mean that everybody has to agree with every decision, but it does mean that everyone ha- has had an opportunity and a chance to voice their opinion. Uh, some may have a much stronger opinion than the others, but that's that's the whole whole reason why it's important to debate and arrive at the best ideas. And I think sometimes people confuse consensus with agreement you know, in, in the room. Uh, and I don't think uh, that is, that is always going to be possible. So uh, my, one of my learnings was, you know, if you go through this culture of debate and openness and, you know, you, you in the end decide that this is the direction you will go into, uh, unless you actually forcefully and, uh, and practically drive disagree, but commit. Uh, and this is a learning, you know, that I picked up from, from Jeff Bezos' uh, last share of the letter, I realized that just having a culture of openness and debate and letting people, uh, you know, agree to disagree doesn't foster the right uh, right environment. You really need to have them to to disagree but commit or you'd actually move forward with the decision you made. And, and, th- and that's, what, that's a subtle but a very key difference in, in the way you can actually get people behind behind the decision
1: can you explain a little further about what exactly do you mean by commitment and and how do you uh, i think how do you execute uh, uh, towards commitment?
0: I think firstly uh, it's a, it's a, it's not a black or white decision every decision will not have hundred percent agreement from every uh, you know stakeholder or or person on the leadership team so for example if if we uh, and I'll give you a real life, real life example we, uh, we were discussing, as part of one of our strategic sessions, the opportunity offered by various segments of the cloud in a computing market. And obviously, each of those segments is a very juicy prospect for us, because all, multiple segments are growing in excess of 20 percent a year, and when you're trying to form a business that is future-ready, you have to discuss and debate every possible segment of the market. And there, were, uh, there was a healthy debate on which segments of the market are most suited and have the best chances for us to succeed in. And out of the, the 10 people in the room, you know, we still, at the end of the discussion, we, we decided that these, uh, these were the two segments uh, that we will not play in. But there were, there were two people in the room who didn't have full conviction on those two segments or, or why we shouldn't be playing in those two segments because they felt like we were losing opportunity. And I think we had, we had to eventually, uh, while we understood their position and they understood our position, we had to eventually get them to a point where they disagreed with the final decision, but they committed to support that decision in all forms, in all forms and manner because that was the best thing for the company and it may not have been you know, in, in alignment with their personal uh, you know, opinion. Or in, or in one case, you know, in their personal interest, because we were we were asking one some one person to let go of, of a book of business that he had built uh, fairly recently. Uh, and I think the way you drive that is by by putting the institution first, by putting the corporate objectives first. And eventually, as CEO, my job is to then, you know, step in and and, and help, you know, break the tie in some of these decisions, uh, and, and and carry the team to to total commitment in execution. Because we don't, what we don't want to do is revisit the same issue in the next time we discuss, uh, you know, uh, something of the same nature. So I think very consciously and very openly driving this culture of of debate, yet commitment on on the final decision uh, once the decision is made is is uh, you know as I said a subtle but a very very important difference. So.
1: Uh, I'm I'm really glad you you brought that up about uh, corporate objectives because very often in uh, uh, these kinds of open debates, uh, what, what, uh, especially if you have very you know, uh, uh, passionate and uh, uh, you know, self-driven, self-motivated people, uh, uh, what you're actually seeing play out is uh, people's ambitions. Uh, and so one question is, how do you get people with the right kind of ambition uh, uh, involved and what kind of ambition do you want uh, for people who are on your team.
0: I think uh, again, uh, ambition and uh, uh, an aggress- and aggressive ambition uh, is uh, often misunderstood. We definitely want people who have uh, uh, who are ambitious and who have uh, hunger uh, and, and the passion to to climb higher. But I think the lens with which you need to see that ambition is that ambition for, for first and foremost, you know, has to be about the institution, about the company, about the about the corporate, not about individuals. And if you align everybody in that direction, then you cut away a lot of the cross-purpose effort, uh, all the one-upmanship, all the gamesmanship, you know, whichever way you call it. And and essentially, uh, that becomes a guiding principle that you that you embrace. And this is—it's uh, not easy to implement because, you in, 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 uh, know, I just gave you an example. In many cases. You will ask people to, to let go of something that may hurt them in the short term, but the real the real answer is really in the long term. You know, if we do the right thing for the institution, everybody will benefit. Everybody will get carried along, and everybody will have opportunity to grow. And I think that's that's the message that that uh, eventually resonates very well with the teams because they're all tied into the same objective, which is overall company growth. Uh-
1: and and uh, uh, just a couple of uh, more points uh one of the hardest decisions for any ceo is uh, you know finding a successor uh, what are your views on that how 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 should a ceo uh, uh go about choosing a successor and and plan for a successor's success you
0: no know, i think uh... <clears throat> one of the most uh, complex subjects uh, it is also one of the hardest to execute so firstly i think we you know we embrace the principle uh, which basically says uh, you know good teams work with each other and great teams work for each other mm. when you do that uh, you know it kind of goes back to the point we were discussing which is you know you put the institution first when you also do that you also create an environment where you know, you're you're creating the ability for people to step into each other's shoes and roles. And I kind of I've lived through two CEO transitions. I mean, in both cases, I was on the receiving side. Uh, and very often, uh, you know, we we have plans in place that we put for succession of our business leaders, our unit leaders, P&L owners, C-suite guys. More important, most importantly, it's not adequate to define and execute on a succession plan. Uh, I think succession plan doesn't end with, uh, you know, just appointing a successor. So, there is a very common saying called no success without successor. I've actually extended that based on my personal experience, and, and, and essentially what I say is, no success without successor success, which means you have to be invested not only in finding a successor, but actually helping make that successor successful. And a number of the principles we've discussed in the last twenty minutes or so come into play as you do that as well. But most importantly, succession isn't complete till the successor becomes successful.
1: And I could just end with one last question, Nitin. It's uh, you know when you think uh, about your leader, your own personal leadership journey, uh, 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 not just at emphasis but even before that. uh, What would you say is the biggest? Sort of a leadership challenges you have faced, and how did you overcome that challenge? And what what can, how did you learn from it that can uh, you can share with other leaders?
0: Uh, sure, Mukul. It's a, it's a great question, not an easy one to answer. But my biggest, one of my biggest learnings, you know, having lived through, uh, you know, at least two two different uh, organizations and two different innings is. Uh, firstly, the only problem you want to ever solve for is the problem of growth. Mm. Then you have the reverse situation, which means when you have negative growth, it creates a set of problems that you really, really are hard-pressed to find solutions to. And and I had to live through that phase for a couple of quarters. Immense puts immense pressure on the org, on the leadership team, on the CEO, the relationship between the CEO and the employees and and his team, as well as the relationship between the CEO and the board and the shareholders. So I, I wouldn't wish that on anybody, uh, but it was an incredible learning that you have to be proactively planning. You have to be proactively, you know, keeping your, uh, you know, your early warning systems in place, so you don't have to take some of those very, very harsh decisions that that uh, that end up being taken when you have uh, consequences from from negative growth. And I think for me, uh, while growth poses its own set of challenges. I personally committed that that's the that's the challenge I'd love to solve the most, which is how do you how do you solve for growth and not the other way around.
1: so I've, I've run of the questions that I wanted to ask. are there any other things that you wanted to say that we haven't talked about?
0: I think you uh, know uh, being in this role uh, it's uh, it's a constant learning at least for me. Uh, I don't uh, think we can stop learning or or we can have an attitude that I know it all. So whatever I've shared, I, I can guarantee you that I'll have a ton more learnings, uh, you know, as I continue to kind of live through this. Uh, it goes back to, you know, uh, a, a phrase that I commonly share, which is, uh, you know, we are just like doctors and lawyers who are always practicing. I think CEOs are also always practicing and, and trying to get better. So with that, uh thank you for, for the time and the questions.
1: Well, thanks very much. I, I, I assume that based on what you said at the end, that uh, that will give us opportunities to have more conversations of this type in the future. So thank you very much, Nathan. really appreciate your time.
0: Absolutely. I'm a, I'm a student of management. Thank you so much.
1: For more insight
0: from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.